And welcome to the Citizens of Natstown podcast. I'm your host, TJ Lanemeyer. With me, as always, James O'Hara. Hello. I'm adjusting levels because we are very loud right now. Okay, that's a little better. I'll fix that in post. Um, you do post? I run it through a thing that evens out the levels. Oh, uh, there you go. I have a program that does it for me. <laughs> uh, let's start with with the the good stuff, and then we'll get yeah, to the it. stuff that we would have been able to talk about. If somebody didn't have work on <laughs> Thursday, and we could have just talked about the good stuff. Yeah, this uh, this and podcast would have a very different feel if we had recorded it on Thursday. Um, but first off, this Saturday we are doing Extra Life benefiting uh, Children's National. Uh, down in DC, we'll be playing video games and games of all kinds for 25 hours or until we are incoherent, um, and need to go to sleep. Uh, so far we've raised, yeah, you'll be here. Sean will be here. Uh, I hear Dave might be making the trip up, so we shall see. I know his, uh, his boys just got out of the hospital here recently, so I would wasn't sure if he's actually going to make it, but we will see. <laughs> Matt may be cro- will maybe cross the street. Matt will cross the street. I hear that his daughter will be making an appearance. Exciting. So, yeah. A lot of special guests. There, It's going to be packed. Uh, but, yeah, we will, we've already raised uh, over $850. Um, currently, the goal is at 1000 As we hit the goal, we will continue to raise it. Uh, if you'd like to donate... Uh, go to citizensofnatstown.com slash extra life. And all the details are there as to how to donate and um, exactly what the, what it is that we'll be doing um, and what it's benefiting. So all the details are there. If you need any of that, it's all tax free um, and everything along those lines. So it's a great cause. We do it once a year. Uh, So if you can contribute, it would be greatly appreciated. Now on to game one of the world series. Good game. It was a good game. That was was lots of fun. It was a good baseball game. That was the only one that's been close so far in terms of score, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of annoyingly, it was not super close. They kind of let it get close. Yeah, because it was 5 nothing, five one. No, 5-2. 5-2. Because they scored 2 in the first. Astros got 2, and then that's where we'll get 5 put themselves up three and then slowly give back two of those runs as the rest of the game went on and then got lucky to make it to pull it out five, four, mm-hmm. but it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, hit Garrett Cole kind of in the way we sort of expected is Cole had one of his best pitches is his four seam fastball, which he can throw very hard and have it spin and move a lot. Um, and he's not really afraid to throw it to anybody, but he maybe should have been the first time against the Nats because the Nats are pretty dead fastball hitters, mm-hmm. especially Juan Soto, Howie Kendrick, Ryan Zimmerman. Uh, that's kind of pretty much all they can hit right now. You notice in the Cardinals, in the Dodgers series, Soto got some fastballs, got those a hit. Cardinals series, he got no fastballs at all, didn't really hit at all. Uh, and then get against Cole, got a nice home run, got, I think, a double. Mm, yeah, Soto did have a double. Got some good, got some good contact. Ryan Zimmerman got the first ever Nationals home run in the World Series, so that was nice. Um, there's a really cool picture post game because uh, obviously Soto and Zimmerman with their home runs were the ones requested uh, after Game One to be in the press box in the well, not the press box in the press area 
and there's a really nice picture that I think Chelsea James took of both of them kind of Soto staring right at her and smiling like this goofy like I see what you're doing smile at Ryan's room making this very wistful <laughs> smile <laughs> this, uh, you know one generation of the club about to pass on to the next generation so that was a pretty fun game uh, Max Scherzer kind of set a pattern that we didn't totally notice or at least nobody really cared about until we started getting to game three and game four which was unfortunately that while the bats for the most part looked like they weren't affected too much by the layover the pitcher the starting pitchers were in that they weren't able to get nearly as deep into games yeah um you know and in scherzer's in particular he was having a lot of trouble with commanding his breaking pitches and getting them even close to the to the zone to make it worth the Astros' while to swing. Yeah, I mean, the Astros don't really swing anyways, but that was the bigger thing is that he was continuing to try and get them to chase for strike three. Yeah, and they would just watch it. Yeah, well, now in his case, his were pretty were going pretty far out of the zone, so it wasn't even questionable. Um, the harder one was then in game two, Strasburg was having issues with his changeup, unfortunately. He was spotting the curveball in the zone, uh, but he wasn't able to get the changeup in the right spots in the zone to get strikes. Uh, or other times, you know, he'd throw the wipeout changeup and the guy somehow wouldn't swing and it would technically go through the strike zone. But any ball that's getting to the dirt by the time it gets to the catcher, very unlikely to be called a strike, even if it technically is. Um, More on that later. Yes. <laughs> But so yeah, that was kind of the issues that the the Astros plan going in was wait for fastballs in the zone. If it's spinning, let it go because it probably won't be in the strike zone. Uh, and that worked out. And for the most part, I don't think national starters really are people who can't throw their breaking stuff into the strike zone. But I think Scherzer can. Strasburg definitely can. He does it all the time. Corbin won a couple of his slider varieties definitely a break into the strike zone and Anibal Sanchez um he proved against the Cardinals and even against the Dodgers he was able to spin pretty much all of his pitches into the strike zone mm-hmm. um that was something we saw against the Dodgers is that they were trying to wait him out and he just kept throwing it into the zone uh but in this case I think with the week-long layoff the one thing it kind of hurt them was which makes sense. Something that always kind of hurts you when you have a lot of time off is getting your feel for your breaking pitches. Yeah. And the Astros kind of played that well. Yeah. Scherzer ends up up going five, um, takes him 112 pitches to get there. Yeah. um, And looked a little precarious at points, but anytime that he got into trouble, he managed to get himself out of it. Yeah. Outside of the two runs in the first inning, which is what you really wanted. Um, You know, Anytime you only give up two through five, you're giving your chance, your team a chance to win. Yeah. Um, and the Nationals took up that chance, mm-hmm. which was really nice. Uh, either the second time or third time through the order. I think it was the third time through the order against Cole that they started hitting him. Yeah, because it was the seventh when they... Yeah, I think it was the seventh. Let's see. There's been so many baseball games since then. No, excuse me, it was the fifth. Oh, it was the fifth. So it was the second time through the order. Yeah. When they dropped the three on him. Started hitting. And those were good, hard hits. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean Zimmerman crushed his home run. Soto crushed his home run all the way up onto the train tracks, which was really cool. It was also really funny. They kept showing the train, the ball on the train tracks. Like it was the most fascinating thing <laughs> that nobody was going to go get it. It's like, yeah, I think they have to wait until the game's over to go get it. They yeah. can't just walk out there. No. You know, if that guy walks out, some person walks onto the train track to go get the ball, everybody's going to see that and assume he's some like sign stealer for the Astros. <laughs> yeah, that probably wouldn't end up going well. Um, so the Nats get through it. Uh, we end up seeing Corbin come in for an inning. Uh, he pitches pretty clean, gives up a hit, two strikeouts. Not terrible. Um, Rainey comes in, uh, has some issues trying to get things called around the zone or even get them to chase around the zone. He wasn't particularly yeah. off, but he was just enough yeah. outside of the zone that nothing was getting called and they were just looking at those pitches. Yeah. Um, ends up giving a run and a third, um, and two walks again with the, uh, with the issues right around the strike zone. Uh, yeah. Daniel Hudson comes in to close out that inning, um, ends up giving up a run as well. And then Doolittle comes in and gets, uh, the final inning to close out the game. It was very exciting. So the Nats end up winning, Five to four in the end. Um, and it's felt huge. He stole one game from the Astros. He stole a game that Garrett Cole was pitching, and he was looking pretty much invincible. Well, and you and stole a game that you didn't think you'd be able to steal. Yeah. If you thought you were going to steal one in Houston, it was Verlander. been Verlander versus Strasburg. Yeah. Um, well, you know, even then, it's like you know, with Garrett Cole is looking invincible. I mean, they stole it, and not in the way you would have thought. It was like, oh, Scherzer goes like eight innings. And matches Cole pitch for pitch, and we happen to be the ones who get the lucky run or something like that. It's like, no, nah, they took it to Cole in game one. Scherzer looked, I didn't really look that good. He gutted it through to get five innings with only two runs, but you know, that's not really what you would have expected how they would have won that game is scoring five runs off of Garrett Cole. Yeah. And then having their bullpen slash. Patrick Corbin be able to take off four innings to, to win. Which a little bit of an interesting call to go to Corbin there. Um, but I mean, it ended up working out well, at was, least on I the could, front end. It felt like maybe going to Corbin there was setting up the idea that they were just going to use Corbin in relief and they mm-hmm. weren't going to have him start any of the games. Uh, since he is not really at an advantage against the Astros hitters because uh, the Astros are almost entirely right-handed hitters besides Michael Brantley mm-hmm. um, and Patrick Corbin's left-handed pitcher. And what's his name? Alvarez. Don Alvarez, yes. which if like Corbin was scheduled for a home game, Alvarez probably wasn't even going to be in the lineup. No. Since he is primarily a DH and I mean, Jose Martinez level. And they even dropped... Um What's his name from the lineup? Granted, he wasn't hitting worth anything. Um, Reddick. Reddick. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, they have Marisnik or Springer can play center. I mean, they have options yeah. in the outfield to be able to take Reddick out whenever this left-handed starter. So that's not really a concern for them. Um, and I mean, they're pretty good sliding slider hitters. 
and Corbin had been kind of having trouble with stamina and with, you know, uh, not consistency, but you know, keeping pitches in the zone that it might have been better for him to be able to come in as a reliever more often. Yeah. And close out games for them. Uh, and maybe see Joe Ross instead go in game four since he's a right-handed sinker ball pitcher. Or, and that's something that they have trouble with is sinker balls. Yeah. It was the fifth of the Cardinals game where he just like, where everything fell apart for him. Yep. Right. Yeah. So, that makes sense. So, but that turned out not to be a case. It turned out that they were just going to push Corbin back to game four, have Sanchez game three. Uh, but before that, they had Strasburg in game two, looking to try to go up 2-0 in Houston. I think still a thing a lot of people didn't expect to be possible. Yeah. Um, so the Nats scored two in the top of the first, and things are looking good. Yeah. Strasburg gets through most of the order in the bottom of the second ends up giving a hit to Altuve. I think so. He gave up the hit to Altuve. He got thrown out in the bases. Somebody else walked yeah. and then the home run came up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bregman hit a home run. Yeah. So he lays a change up in there and that it did not move at all. No, it just stayed straight. So no. that that's kind of an easy pitch to hit. And that very quickly turned into my hate of Alex Bregman. Yeah. Well, you should, uh, the history of the Bregman family should make you hate Alex Bregman anyways. Yes, it should. Uh, but also just Ag- Alex Bregman as a person yeah. makes True. me. For If you do not know, Bregman's grandfather was the one who suggested that after the 1968 Democratic uh, presidential run, when they were backing Herbert, hum- uh, Herbert Humphrey, and he lost to Nixon that uh, Bregman's grandfather was one who suggested to Bob Short that he should buy the Washington senators as kind of something to do now that they were done presidential campaigning. And then of course then Bob Short moves the team in 1971 to Texas mm-hmm. uh, and was known to kind of suck. So <laughs> he lost us to senators. I mean, well, at least we got the nationals back. Uh, it would have been nice to crush his son, his grandson, but we'll see. Uh, Yeah. So that for the most part, they have. Yeah. He's had a couple of spots, but aside from that, for all of his bravado around the bases, Mm -hmm. he hasn't done a whole lot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Strasburg ends up going six. Um, so not still not quite as deep as you might have thought if they were gonna win this game. And but. six seemed like a stretch at one point. Yeah, uh, he got he threw a lot of pitches just to get to six, uh, and it, there was at least three different innings where it didn't look like he'd be able to have enough pitches to get there. Yeah, he ended up with one fourteen. He had one. I think the fifth he ended up kind of short. Yeah, that ended up being like let a him have just eight enough or to ten build, pitch yeah, or something, just enough to get through six. Uh, and then he gets rewarded in the top of the seventh with Kurt Suzuki starting us off with the huge home run to make a 3-2 game off of Justin Verlander. Uh, and then that's Robles think gets on. Uh, and then they just kind of get... Robles walks, and at that point, Verlander's done. Right. Uh, Presley comes in, proceeds to walk Turner. Adam Eaton successfully lays down a bunt. Let's mark this point in history. 
Um, Siri just answered when I said history. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, what, who was that? Um, so Adam lays down the bunt. Robles and trade a third. Rendon flies out at this point, And nobody scores on that fly yeah, out to center. Yeah, really short. So at this point, it's looking a little precarious on whether they're even going to get anything out of these first two base runners. Right. Uh, and then Kendrick singles, which scores Robles. Uh, and a very generous single. We pretty much hit it right towards Bregman. But that's right. They shifted Bregman, who then missed the ball, then kicked the ball away from himself uh, to allow the run to score and make it first, first and third. Um, I think Ascap was after. Kendrick and got a legitimate hit. Bases loaded. Oh, they loaded the bases. Because Robles scored, there were already two on. Oh, right. Sorry. They intentionally walked Soto. That's right. They yeah, intentionally yeah. walked Soto to get to Kendrick again. That was the first intentional walk the Astros had issued all season. Uh, That's the second time somebody intentional walked Soto to get to Kendrick with the bases loaded. Uh, and He did not hit a grand slam, but he did hit it off of Alex Bregman. Um, to get the run to score and make it basis keep it bases loaded, and then Ascap comes up and laces an actual hit, which was nice up the middle. He, he had not really been doing much offensively, uh, and then Ryan Zimmerman uh, screws with Bregman again by hitting a swinging bunt that Bregman decides to throw to first base, even though Zimmerman's definitely going to beat the throw and flings it wildly into the. You know, would have gone into the stands if not for some netting, mm-hmm. uh, which allows another run to score. And now all of a sudden, the Nats are now up eight, eight to, to two. two. Just nuts on one good hit, a couple walks, and a home run. Oh, sorry. Yeah, three walks, one home run, and some just complete trash in terms of swinging content. So then at this point, they pull Ryan Presley, bring in Josh James, and Kurt Suzuki, who started the ending, ends the ending. Which is kind of (laughs) cool. After that point, uh, the Astros don't do a lot. In the bottom of the seventh, top of the eighth, the the hot streak continues. um, But they had to wait until they had two outs again. Because they struck out twice. And then Eaton homers... Which a uh, bomb from Eaton. It was crazy. Adam Eaton does not hit bombs much anymore. I forgot about this. They only had one out at this point yeah. because the first quote unquote out of the inning was Victor Robles striking out yeah, swinging like, yeah, but, on a pass ball. Oh, and he got easily to first base. So it wasn't even a, a challenge. Yeah, he like jogged to first base. Yeah. It was there. And they, like the catcher couldn't even like, I don't think he even made a throw. No, I don't think so. Or if you did, it was like one of those. So I was like, why were you throwing that? The only thing that could happen here is that it, it goes away. <laughs> You're not getting it out this way. But I don't believe he threw it. Uh, yeah, so Ian gets a two run bomb to make it 10 to nothing. Um, or 10, not 10 to nothing, 10 to two. Felt like 10 to nothing. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Uh, then Kendrick single, uh, excuse me, Soto walks, Kendrick singles, and then Ascap again comes through with a single. To score Soto. And then Zim closes out the inning. Uh, and then playoff Matt comes up to pinch hit. To fill in for Robles for the next inning. Yeah, in the ninth. 
and gets another home run and cranks one off the top wall in the Crawford boxes to make it 12 to 2. Which was very nice. It's very exciting. Everybody likes playoff Matt. So that made it 12 to 2. Martin Maldonado homeward against Javi Guerra in garbage time Who at this cares? point. So your final yeah, there is 12 now to 3. They're, they're up. They've won two games in Houston. They didn't use any of their good relievers because they scored so many runs in the seventh. They were able to immediately skip ahead to Guerra and who else pitched? Rainey. And uh, Rainey. Uh, Rainey and Rodney. And both of them had uh, clean innings. Rodney gave up a walk. And then Javi Guerra to close out once you're up by 10. Yep. Pretty great. <laughs> So that was really exciting. I mean, they won their first two World Series games. They won eight in a row, tying Major League record for playoff games one in a row. I mean, they did have a little help because they had some extra, you know, an extra DS round that a lot of playoffs teams didn't have. Also an extra CS round that even further back, some teams never had the chance to have. But still cool. Yeah. Eight, you know, in the play, you know, eight in a row in the playoffs. Crushing it in their blue jerseys and getting to come back home for the first MLB World Series in 86 years. The first any kind of World Series in about 73 years. Yeah, it was like the 40s or so. Yeah, right? the Negro League. Technically, the Homestead Grays were in it in 1948, but none of the games were hosted in Washington <laughs> okay. due to Redskins. Giants games occurring at Griffith Stadium uh, when the Negro League game was supposed to be played. So the Grays home games were played in like Louisiana and Alabama or something like that. <laughs> I can't remember exactly. It was something like in the kind of like the South area. It was like very like weird. Like it wasn't even like close to this area. It wasn't like oh you're gonna go play in Baltimore instead. Yeah. I think they were just like oh we can like we can't play nearby. Let's just go play in the warmest, nice, pl- nicest place we can right now. Which not a terrible idea. No. Um, but I think the last one where the Grays were in it and also hosted a game in Washington was uh, 1946. So. Okay. Yeah, so the Nats way, came home. A long time. Yes. The Nats came home and proceeded to score three runs in three games. And that's it. That's all we're going to talk about. This <laughs> so that's that's all you need to know. Um now, they just had more trouble. The What kind of happened was just the trouble we had sort of seen in the first two games that kind of got papered over by some, you know, solid contacts against Garrett Cole uh, by a couple hitters that, you know, were kind of really just like it's like a sequencing thing. Mm-hmm. In game one, they, just, they didn't get that many hits against Cole. But the ones they did seem to always set up people to score runs and then to score them, like back-to-back. Like, they they put the hits in the right order. Um, Game two, like we talked about, really got blown up by a fairly fluky inning. And the Astros should have gotten out of that inning at least two or three times. Um, And the the issues really were the, the starting pitching was having trouble getting strikes, strikeouts, strikes in general. Mm Mm-hmm. Getting deep into games, they were throwing a lot of pitches, which was really starting. Um, you know, they were going to need more innings from the bullpen. Uh, and then the other issue was really that Anthony Rendon was not hitting well at all. Neither, neither was Juan Soto. 
Yeah, I mean, Soto was gay. Soto had a good game one, and then didn't really do too much in game two. Um, I mean, really, if you break it down, game three versus game four and five, there were two different issues. Mm-hmm. The story from as we were going into games one and two was like the one thing they kept harping on was the timely hitting of the Nationals of yeah. with two outs and runners in scoring position, they still managed to get those people home. Yeah. You kept getting them home. Yeah, exactly. It completely stopped in game three. Yeah. Um, And it was weird. I think what the first six innings or first seven innings, they put a runner in scoring position, every single one of those innings and had the bases loaded twice. Yeah. Never Um, wasn't able to push them home. Yeah. It was, it was ugly. Um, Whereas your game four and game five problem is they couldn't even do that. They couldn't even get no. the first part. Right. They, they well, like occasionally they could get the get like one person could get a hit, but then nobody else behind them could get one. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even like oh a two out rally kind of thing. It'd be like Jan Combs leads off the inning with a double, and then everybody else proceeds to just ground out or fly out, right, or strike out, and just oh now the inning's over. Um, but you know, Anthony Rendon didn't look well. He looked awful in Game Three, which with three just terror like terrible pop-ups yeah and all of them on the first pitch yeah all but one of them on the first pitch like and to the point where i think it was game four now i would have been it was one of the games i was watching here so it was either game three or game five yeah probably game five uh turner and eaton come up and are working yeah it was last night so it was cold and are yeah. working Cole pretty good in the count. Yeah. And at least like fouling shit off and doing yeah. different things. Uh, nothing ends up coming out of those two. Yeah. But then Rendon comes up and I think it's like the second pitch and he out. just like pops it up. And it's yeah. just like, what are we doing? <laughs> oh, it's just really weird. Um, it, it just, I, but he was sort of doing that in game one and two, too. Just didn't really notice. So they hit that and then, uh, you know, Similar issues that Scherzer and Strasburg had, uh, Sanchez and Corbin also had, um, and even Joe Ross. And unfortunately for them, they were not able to kind of, they didn't have the same elite pitches to be able to get out of the trouble being caused by the Astros taking pitches and, yeah. you know, the Nats not being able to get, you know, strikes here and there. Um, so that kind of hurt. Uh, you know, issue. Is I mean a lot of people had problems with the umpires. I don't know before game five if they were necessarily that bad. Now of course I was watching from the stands in game three and game four. So game four, I was talk I was at the park, but I was talking to my brother back and forth, and we also had a TV that was like half a section yeah. over right above us that we could see the strike zone on. Um. And while I know the box that's on there is not considered gospel by any means, no. it seemed to be like it was two different strike zones depending on which half of the inning was going on. Yeah, I, it's possible, but I mean, I would argue in most of those cases, I mean, part of it is just framing. Um, you know, Kurt Suzuki's not a really good framer. The Astro catchers are pretty much only chosen for being able to frame. And Torinos and Maldonado, so it's not surprising they could get a couple extra strikes that way. Uh, the other part is really just, I mean, we'll be talking about the approach of the Astros hitters. If you're not swinging at a lot of pitches, 
a lot of things are going to look like they're close and be called balls. But when you're swinging a lot more, you're going to get a lot more strikes, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, not as quite as many as called strikes, but, you know, when you're swinging a lot more stuff that you could have conceivably ended up being like an Astros hitter takes it, it looks close, but it's a called ball. The national sitter swinging at that, and then another one comes in, and that one gets called a strike. Uh, and so you just don't have that percentage. Whereas, like the net, you know, the Astros could be taking a lot of pitches. Thirty percent of them are called strikes. The Nats are taking way less pitches. You know, then still the same percentage number of them as being called strikes. That looks like way more called strikes on pitches out of the zone than it does for the Astros, just based because of how many more had to be called. Um, yeah, I guess my issue is, I mean, there were obviously some egregious ones here and there of like stuff in the zone not being called a strike, and there were multiple occasions over the last couple of games uh, that that's been the case. But the bigger issue I have is the close stuff and the consistency of it. Of yeah. no, You have a close pitch on the outside that Garrett Cole is getting, and Ross isn't. Yeah. And uh, the, the quote-unquote superstar call makes sense in basketball. It it's doesn't, make, it, it doesn't yeah. really make sense on a this is the strike zone <laughs> in yeah, what it's it, supposed to be. I didn't think it was too egregious, but I can see why, especially why people would get upset about the umpiring, because especially in games three through five, things aren't going the way the Nationals go, but you don't really want to get too mad at these guys at this point considering all they've done and how far they've gotten. You don't want to be like, Oh, you know, Gensoto, you know, Robles should be swinging an idiot. Like, who are you going to yell at? Are you going to yell at the umpire game five though? With Barksdale had two calls that were just egregiously bad to the point that there's no real, like basic explanation of why that happened. It was one was the, uh, pitch that was called a ball. I can't remember who the Astros hitter was, but Jan Gomes had stood up to throw it around the horn and Barksdale told him it was a ball. And then after the game said that, you know, it was on Gomes for standing up too fast and that, that he couldn't call it a straight because he couldn't see it because Gomes was already trying to throw it around the horn. Uh, it's just, just stupid and bullshit. And that was one where Davey Martinez yelled at him to wake up because it's the World Series. Uh, I, great. I really enjoyed uh Gomes's quote after the game last night. Yeah. Uh, where he basically cut off the reporters and was like, if you have anything to ask about the umpiring, I'm not gonna answer it. But the fact that you're asking it, you're answering your own question. Exactly. <laughs> um and then the and then the, the worst one though was the the pitch to Robles, which was pretty much in the other batter's box, didn't really come into the plate. It was clearly a ball and against a young kid Robles clearly was strategy, which was smart. I had tweeted he should do it. It basically just take pitches. You know, Cole was tiring at that point. They already had two runners on. He was really missing the zone. And Robles realized, like, the better thing he can do right here is to be a smart hitter and take pitches and really let make him throw the ball into the strike zone rather than go up there trying to be a hero and swinging a lot. You know, and the fact that he then gets punished for doing the right thing by getting a pitch that's well off the plate, not even close to the strike zone, called strike three, 
It's just nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what you really don't want to see. It's that that and when um when you see new pitchers come into the game and kind of get called strikes that aren't really that close to the zone. It's like, well, what? Why is? It, why are they getting the benefit of the doubt here? Yeah, they the, just came into the game. What the hell is that? And the frustrating part, especially, was on uh, Saturday. Yeah, with the bullpen game, because at that point, it's like none of none of these guys are, you know, you're quote unquote oh, yeah. getting the superstar call of no. well, it's a little on the out, but you're going to get it anyways. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, like. Uh, you have what five different pitchers that day? Yeah, uh, at least. Now, nah, and like I said, a lot of credit goes to the Astros hitters for kind of getting those extra calls because they're taking those pitches. The Nationals didn't really good, do a good job of you know forcing the Empire to help them out that much. They were very much not helping themselves out. Uh, it really, Game Four was definitely the most disappointing game they've played in. Yeah. I mean, after Oof. about the what, uh, sixth inning, they just look listless. Just, I, I mean, I think that was the worst game they've played since the third week of September. Yeah. I mean, that was before the Grand Slam. It didn't even really look like their at-bats were really no. doing a whole lot or making any headway as to what was going on. And I guess I want to be clear on this. Um, the the biggest point that has lost them games in the last couple of days mm-hmm. has been the offense. You can't right. come out and score three runs in three games and expect yeah. to win a game. No. That said, the umpiring has been awful. Yeah. And the games could have been different. Not saying they would have won. They may have been more competitive at certain points during those right. games. Yeah. With yeah. better officiating on those calls. Uh, yeah, that. And if they could just stop giving up two home, two run home runs all the damn time. Yep. Yep. Oh, that that be... was just nuts. As a guy, it's like, not only can you only score one run a game, your opponents seemingly at will can hit two run home runs, which two of those this weekend came after calls that should have been strikes. Yeah. Definitely one in game four. And I, I think, think it was the was first one in, one in the game yeah. five. I think yeah. it was the first one in five. Again, Actually, the no, second think, one the, still wins was, the game. I think it was the second one in game five, but yeah. Okay. Even then, you still would have won two to one. Yeah, but yeah, the first one still wins the game. Like There's some other stuff that yeah, that probably could have gone differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, game four is just really overall the most annoying because that's when he had good starting pitcher in Patrick Corbin going up against the Astros who were supposedly doing a bullpen game. And then the Nationals hitters just did so poorly that the freaking rookie equity somehow gets all the way through the fifth inning before they finally go to any other reliever. And it was only what, like 70 pitches or something. Yeah, like it I mean, wasn't he could have kept going. They finally, it was finally like, all right, we probably, it was more like the Astros were just like they didn't want him to face the order a third time through. Yeah, you felt like they were playing so they fire them out. at that point. So rather than anything like Urquidy had done specifically, and that was just the exact opposite. I mean, when that when they were playing that bullpen game, they had to jump on 
Urquidy. I'm sure I'm pronouncing this cor- incorrectly every single time. Urquidy? Urquidy. I think that's how they were saying Urquidy? it on the Urquidy? on the call the other night. Um, but, yeah, I, but he goes five, gives up two hits with four strikeouts on 67 pitches. Yeah, which is just terrible. I mean, they, he, they should have been at the point where they were trying to get him out of the game in the first inning. Yeah. And at worst, the second. Because they, they should have been hitting him. They should have been getting the Astros thinking about it, getting them, making people get up. Deciding whether they want to stick with this guy, or they want to start pitching all the guys out of the bullpen, because then they would have found even if you know Urquidy, 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 I don't know. Um, even he was able to keep them shut out. If they were putting a lot of runners on base, they would have had to take them out because they just would have been nervous about letting them even face them a second time. Uh, and then you just keep going through the relievers until you find the reliever that's having the bad day. Like they did in game two, where they found out Presley wasn't having a very good day. And then James was having an even worse day. And in game, and then even in that game, they did briefly once they pulled out or could he, who did they replace him with James to start? James to started. He gave up two walks. And yeah. And there you go. They found, they found the guy who was having a bad day, but the problem was it was so late in the game. The Astros could be like, oh, two walks? Nah, you're out of there. Yeah. Put somebody else in, finish it off instead. So he went a third, and then Harris came in and closed out the inning. And then Peacock came in. And- uh, Rondon, and then Peacock. Oh, uh, yeah. And then, and then Davinsky. To one, though. Yeah. Stupid yeah, once slide. Peacock came in, like that game was well out of hand. Yeah. So. Uh, Would have... At the time, didn't really know what Davey was doing in the seventh inning there. Made a lot more sense once we found out the next day that Max Scherzer's neck is pretty much entirely in traction and cannot be turned at all. He sounded, looked and sounded like he was about one step away from having to wear one of those giant halo braces to keep himself from hurting, getting into any more pain, uh, which really sucked. Uh, you know, Max Scherzer threw with a freaking black eye in the regular season and a broken nose. Yeah. At a time where it really wasn't that necessary for him to do that. <laughs> so, you know, if it's a World Series and he's not able to, he decides he can't pitch, that that's legitimately probably some of the most excruciating pain anybody can imagine uh, to the point that he doesn't think he could pitch through it in any way whatsoever. Obviously, the right call. If he doesn't think he can do it, then nobody should be pushing him. No. So it was just very unfortunate. Hopefully, that quarter zone shot works. Hopefully, Strasburg gets us through game six here and we can see Scherzer make some sort of Willis Reed, Kirk Gibson, Elena Deladon kind of move where somehow comes back from something that seemed to be a debilitating injury and help win a championship. So I got to say, Strauss is going to start getting used to this. Yeah. Where he needs to be your stopper to keep your season alive. <laughs> what is this? The, I mean, well, te- I mean, if you want to count the wild card game, his three innings of relief, which mm-hmm. were pretty much crucial. Yep. is kind of a stopper there. Um, game two of the NLDS, you know, there wasn't quite as dire circumstances as they are now, but that was really a situation where Strasburg had to go and dominate they could not come back to DC down 2-0. No, you weren't going to win three straight against the Dodgers. 
Um, and then he had the game five job <laughs> again. Incredible, but you know, so he's there. Um, NLCS, not pretty low stakes, but I think what we saw now in the World Series, still kind of imp- pretty important. You know, the Cardinals definitely were more demoralized down 2 0 coming back to Washington than um, the Astros looked. Mm hmm. But I mean, we really saw in the World Series versus SCS how important it was when Strasburg came in and just shut them down again. And then they won game three. It's like, oh, there's no way in hell the Cardinals were going to win that series. And you could tell after that, that first inning was probably a d- direct result of Strasburg shutting them out in game three. So we'll have to see now. Game six. Um no, he's did this again. Twenty seventeen, game four against the Cubs as well. Mm-hmm. Had to uh, save the season. Yeah. So, we'll see if he can do it. Um, I think the good thing is something we talked about earlier tonight. It's really the only issue he had in game two was that he couldn't quite get that change up in the spot that he couldn't get it into the zone, which meant they either would sit on it and let it go by, and the umpire was having trouble calling a pitch going into the dirt a strike, even though it was a strike when it went by the plate. Um, and then a couple of times he did get into the strike zone was because it wasn't breaking at all, and you know Brangham was able to crush it. I think now one day extra rest, so he, so he won't be on completely regular rest, but it'll be much closer, it'll have worked again. Uh, he should hopefully have a better feel for that pitch. He had a feel, good feel for the chan- the curveball. Hopefully, he can keep that feel there, um, and then he can have a really good game. Uh, Verlander doesn't have a very good track record in the World Series, of course. As you say that, that probably means that this is going to be when he finally <laughs> pulls one out and gets his first win um, in the World Series. And but we'll see. I mean, they're in a good spot with with Strasburg. You just really need to find your star hitters. You need Anthony Rendon to step up. You need Juan Soto to step up. You need Trey Turner to step up. Uh, and you need how how Kendrick really to step up. I mean, I mean, the story had been earlier in the postseason that it was essentially Rendon and Soto that were carrying them. So when those yeah, well, two started having issues, yeah. So from the wild card game to the NLDS. I Rendon and Soto were destroying the ball. Zimmerman was hitting pretty well. Trey Turner was hitting pretty well. And Howie Ken and the other guys like Howie Kendrick, Michael A. Taylor, Victor Robles, Adam Eaton were all coming in with timely hits. You know, they weren't having huge series statistically, but they were putting the hits in they could through the NLDS. NLCS Soto kind of fell off. The Cardinals had a good plan of attack for him. Um, but still, Trey Turner was crushing it. Ryan Zimmerman was crushing it. Michael A. Taylor was still doing well. Um, you were still getting big hits from Ryan Zimmerman. Howie Kendrick really turned it around between the DS and the CS and you know crushed the Cardinals pitching. Uh, and Adam Eaton had a pretty good series again. Uh, so you know they were able to really find contributions from all around. But I mean, really, the pillar of those first three rounds of the playoffs has been Anthony Rendon just knocking the cover off the ball. And now we're here coming up on game six of the world series. And he just really hasn't hit anything. Well, I mean, even a couple of times he's 
sort of driven the ball. It hasn't been like a real Rendon drive. Oh, this is a guaranteed hit. It's kind of just been, I mean, a lot of the Nats hitters have had, had that issue at home where they were just getting a little too much loft into their line drives and making it easy for the Astros outfielders to track it down. So for the postseason, Rendon is sitting on an 881 OPS for his last seven games. So including the last two games, the CS yeah. is the closest I can get to the World Series stats right now. Uh, he's three for 20. Yeah. No, with a, 88 was, it's, it's 606 Sounds OPS. pretty good, except the problem is he was over like 1,000 through the CS. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't really had the success. And so, I mean, you're really going to need you know, Steven Strasser to again be your stopper, and then you need Anthony Rendon to step up. You need Juan Soto to step up. You need Howie Kendrick. You need Trey Turner. You know, to all start really hitting, because uh, you know this isn't a team that's going to just be crushing home runs all the time. That's not right. What's up? What I gave you is his last seven games is not correct. Oh, okay. They're counting his last seven games as the last seven games of the regular Wait, season. That even though those aren't the last seven games that he played. <clears throat> if you have baseball reference and you look at postseason, then you can click World Series, and then you can just get the stats for the World Series that way. Yeah, that's where I'm going. So, I mean, I think they can do it. I mean, they've proven in these, all the people I just we just said need to do well for the Nats to win have all done well, have all done it this postseason. So OPS for the division series, 1219. OPS yeah. for the championship series, 1029. OPS for the World Series, 573. <laughs> Jesus Christ. On base of 273. Yeah. Uh, he is four for 20. Well, and the interesting in the thing series. is, yeah, the Astros pitchers haven't really been doing anything that tricky. No. You know, it's not like Juan Soto versus the Cardinals where you could see, oh, those Cardinals pitchers, they're just flinging curveballs at him all the time, getting him all kind of messed up and making it hard for him to hit. Yeah, you can see that. It's not even like the Nats against the Giants in 2014 where you can see all the Giants pitchers just follow the same plan of kind of getting those pitches low and away to try to get the Nats to you know roll over and get weak contact or you know swing and miss, which also worked. Uh, you know, the Astros are really just kind of coming that at them as pitchers mm-hmm. with their pitches. You know, Garrett Cole was throwing his fastball still last night, uh, you know, and that's when the Nats brief mini rally early in the game was when he stubbornly tried to throw the fastball past Kendrick and Soto again, and both of them smacked them for singles. Uh, they just weren't able to finish off that rally. Uh, Verlander's pitching his normal self. Oh, Granky would really would not doing anything super weird versus what he'd done before. So it's not anything crazy. It's just right now they're just not hitting. You got to start hitting. Yeah. Uh, hopefully the day off today is help them get them some cleansing. Uh, you know they're not they won't be rusty because they've gotten some work in, uh, and hopefully just the day off will be enough to kind of get them reset you know, knock off some bad habits and then they can come back ready to go game six. Yeah. I mean, if you get it to a game seven, anything can happen in a fucking game seven. It's the same as a DS game five. 
And we are very familiar with what the shit can happen in a game five. Even a game this five year. or a one game playoff. <laughs> or a one game playoff. Yeah. I, if you are a Nationals fan, even just for seven years, you are intimately aware of what can happen in a double elimination game. Yeah. A kind of wacky, weird shit. No matter how good your plan going in, you think is, it's going to get blown up. Crazy stuff is going to happen. And probably somebody you don't expect is going to win the game. Yeah. So if they can just you know, put a good, solid game together tomorrow, which I think they have the pieces to do. Then we get the game seven. Maybe Scherzer comes back. Maybe it's a combination of Sanchez and Corbin and Joe Ross on a bullpen day and Doolittle and Hudson and, you know, just a bunch of weirdness. I got to say see what happens. The spots that they have put Ross into. He is impressed me in yeah. the spots where the, it's been really awesome uh, to see. I mean, even that game, I mean, he gave up four runs, but he was pretty damn sharp for yeah. a lot of the well, game. And that I'm going to take as a quick segue to the last segment I want to talk about is all the getting awesome stuff that has happened this World Series, even if they're down 3-2. And mm-hmm. just this playoff series, you know, playoff run in general, I think we could name every single player on the 25-man roster and say one cool thing they have done this postseason to help the Nats either win a game or take a lead or, you know, just play well. I mean, saying Joe Ross, they've asked him to do some crazy stuff he didn't expect. Um, you know, he made some good pitches. He threw two innings in relief on Friday that let them stay in the game and gave them a chance to try to make a comeback if they wanted to. Uh, had to make, <laughs> right after that relief appearance, two days later, had to try to make an emergency start after not starting a game for months. <laughs> Yeah, what, six weeks game or something? five of the World Series, where all of a sudden your team was tied 2-2 and you really needed to win. And he went out. He gave up two two-run home runs, but four runs in five innings for Joe Ross, that was a position the Nats could have won that game. Mm-hmm. Joe Ross did not lose it. I mean, that's really cool. Uh, and if you work all, all the way down to Andrew Stevenson, I mean, he pinch ran in the wildcard game. Was a guy on second base who got the tying run in the wild card game and gave the quote of the year there. <laughs> it's uh, he saw the hit to center field and he said, "Oh, I'm scoring." <laughs> then I looked and saw Grisham miss the ball and I said, "Oh, everyone's scoring." <laughs> uh, you know, we don't have to talk about playoff Matt. I mean, Askab. We talked today about his big hits in Game Two. Ali Kendrick has a huge grand slam. Um, I I think that. Gerardo Parra has both gotten on base as a pinch hitter and also given us some ridiculously cool baby shark moments, which is not something you would have expected to say at the beginning of the season or at any point. I don't know if you would have even said before this World Series that the baby shark moments would have been ridiculously cool, but it was. Uh, it felt like it was, you were in a movie when it started and you're just like looking around the whole stadium, literally everybody is doing this shark chomp. (laughs) And even though every single time, unfortunately they were losing the game when he came in and it was still like, 
everybody stood up, everybody did a shark chomp, and then everybody remained standing for the rest of that inning. Yeah. Um, I think both times it came up, they were already down four to one. And it was just like, I, you know, uh, I wasn't there for game five, but it's like, yeah, I mean, we're getting into it. It was baby shark. Come on, man. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think the fans brought it. You know, unfortunately, there wasn't much to bring it for. It, I think that's probably my most disappointing. I mean, it's disappointing to me that they're down 3-2, but also it's been really cool to see them in the World Series. You know, if they don't win, they've done a lot of cool things. I'm going to be happy about this season. But I think the thing I was most disappointed by is that outside of booing Donald Trump and Roberto Asuna and a couple early inning things the, the Nats fans we just really didn't get that moment in the World Series where you just seemed it's like holy shit these fans are freaking crazy yeah um well and they I mean continued to go regardless of not being given a whole lot to cheer about yeah not, they, people weren't leaving even the eight to one game people were hanging out on Saturday until it really kind of started raining and then people were finally like all right yeah I finally saw people leave like <laughs> In between the eighth and ninth, when it was yeah. like, okay, so, this is about done. This is about done. It's raining. I, I'm over with this now. But yeah, then, like walking out of the stadium after Saturday night's game was, it was still bedlam mm-hmm. with how many people were trying to get out. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, when I met up with people, I both nights I went game three and game four. I got there at like six o'clock, and while, I mean, luckily got in through security pretty fast. But once you were inside, it was like. 20,000 people already yeah. hanging out yeah. two hours before the game was going to start. All the concourses were full. The scoreboard walk was already at the point where you could barely move. Um, and it was just nuts. Then uh, it only increased from there. Then, you know, you tried to meet up with people and then you're like, all right, you know, seven o'clock, let me try to get to my seats. And you're like trying to push past these <laughs> huge crowds. And I figure out how the hell you get back to your seat. Yeah. I was awesome to see people like, there so early so excited i mean by i think probably 5 40 5 30 saturday night all of the bars around nationals park walters and mission and big sick already in the bullpen already full already at the place where they were like we're gonna have a bouncer here the set anytime somebody walks out they'll let one of you in <laughs> and that's it it's like Two and a half hours before first pitch. I mean, and you're not even in the stadium, and you're like, I'm gonna. And there were still like 50 people standing in each of the lines for those different places, being like, I'm just gonna wait for the people who are going to the game to finally walk out of the bar, and I'm gonna get in this bar. We went, we were there like right when gates opened on Saturday. Yeah. And walked around for a little bit. So it was probably like, I don't know, 545 or so, maybe six. And we walked up to the Red Loft and walked behind it and looked out. Mm-hmm. And first off, like center field is already bonkers at that point. Yeah. And then all the way down Half Street is just a wall, wall of, of people, people yeah. walking in. It's just uh, it was crazy. Super cool. Uh, even at the, the watch party game, too, we got up to 14,000 people. Jeez. And it was really loud. It was really fun. Um, everybody did the baby shark for that one, too. And it was pretty cool. Uh, so I mean, it's been awesome seeing the fans, seeing everybody really happy, you know, getting to run into a lot of people at the World Series game, being at a World Series game. Um, you know, it didn't work out the way we wanted. It would have been really nice if they won one of the games. It would have been pretty nice if 
you know, they had been kind of competitive. We could have been in a situation where the fans were really into the game for most of it, even if they ended up losing. Um, you know, it was kind of disappointing. It was at the point where, you know, the Astros in all three games was taking two, you know, four run leads by the second, third inning. Yeah. That just kind of made it harder for the fans. I mean, they tried to get back into it, but it's just, it's hard when you don't have a lot to cheer for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. definitely is. So. Um, so, I mean, what came out of, especially last night's game, but people have been obviously talking about it for a couple of games was the umpiring side of it. And then more and more people are calling for robot a, umps. It, yeah. Your computerized strike zone. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious, like thoughts on that. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's a big change and I don't know if people are all thinking through everything that would change Mm -hmm. if you go to that kind of system. Um, I mean, you're fundamentally changing the catcher position. Yeah. I mean, at that point it's a slightly more difficult designated hitter because you're going to put somebody, um, Hey, you're still calling a game at that point. Well, the thing I would say is if you're going to robot umps, I feel like the other addition that would kind of go hand in hand with that is, and it's been discussed as having an earpiece and a microphone system for the pitchers to then be able to communicate directly with the dugout. Uh, and then you would just have the dugout calling the game with the pitcher that way, which I never understood that I could understand a headpiece between the pitcher and the catcher where you don't need mound visits or anything. And you're essentially, yeah, no, I mean, I I don't really get that either, but I think that's, that's kind of the direction you'd be heading Mm -hmm. is, well, if we're making framing's not important, like how we catch the ball isn't important. That's pretty easy. Cause then you can, you don't, you don't have to be in a huge squat. You don't have to hold a bit. Um, you know, you can kind of just stand there, catch it. Uh, it would be interesting in terms of base stealing. Uh, cause if you don't, I think a lot of baseball fans, if you watch a lot of baseball, you've noticed a lot of times when somebody's stealing a base, a lot of times the catcher has to pop up to throw it really fast and loses a strike call because they've pulled the ball out of the zone so fast to make the throw that the umpire kind of gets distracted, gets caught up in the steal and doesn't really notice that it was a ball in the strike zone. Mm -hmm. If you don't have to worry about that, like you one, you don't have to even do a pop-up, just be standing there ready to throw the ball with your glove out. So you just catch it, move it in your hand and throw it. So you'll be in a throwing stance to start. You can shave a lot of time and that's going to make it a lot, make it harder to steal. Um, And you don't have to, worry about oh if i go to try to throw is it worth trying to throw this guy out or should i just try to frame this pitch to make sure i get a strike you don't have to worry about that it's gonna be if it's a strike it'll be called a strike catch it and throw the ball damn it (laughs) um but yeah i think if you get to the point where you're framing a lot of other things that kind of go into catching if really the only thing at that point is oh we want somebody who can call a game it's like, well, let's just have a way where we can call a game from the dugout mm-hmm. and put somebody who can actually hit hit the ball. Yeah. And so you're going to say, I mean, 
I know the guys really like how Kurt Suzuki calls the game and Kurt Suzuki hit well. But if you say, oh, your choice is a guy like Kurt Suzuki, he can call a really good game. Pitchers like the way he calls the game, but he has a 70 WRC plus. Or you can have Tyler Moore. He doesn't know shit about catching. He just he can catch the ball though every time it goes across the plate. He has a good enough arm to throw it to second base when he needs to. And oh, he has a 110 WRC plus. What do you think every single freaking team is gonna pick in that situation? But at that point, like I'm probably okay with that trade-off. Like yeah. I'm not I yeah, I, I'm not saying that as if, oh, that just means you shouldn't have robot umpires. I'm just saying the domino you're changing effects. a lot more yeah. than you might think. The, the first thing you would think is, oh, it, the game will be exactly the same, except for now the balls and strikes will be accurate. It's like, well, no. One, you're changing that position. That's going to be very different. Um, and you're changing kind of the way the stealing game will work uh, and probably the way that the pitcher, you know, the way the game is called to the pitcher. That kind of dynamic will change as likely as well. Uh, and then the other thing that you're going to change, you can see is that you, there's a lot of fine tuning that's needed for this system. Um, you know, they, I think MLB is kind of going with the right approach where they try to use it more in the independent league and in the Arizona fall league and really get the data based on, I uh, really, they should be kind of doing this the other way where really they have the system running and then they have somebody watching kind of calling the game and you can kind of see where it differs and make sure that some of those points aren't like oh you're getting a strike call on pitches that like no human being would be able to hit Mm -hmm. just because that's how the strike zone is defined yeah and i think a lot of people who play baseball know that the strike zone is defined bigger basically under the assumption that the way your perception works it needs to be said bigger to get the correct smaller one. But if you give the bigger one to a machine, it'll just call the bigger one. And then you're going to get a lot of hitters in situations like the guy who was kicked out of the Arizona Fall League game this year, basically on a breaking ball, kind of like what Strasburg was throwing in game two, where it was nipping the bottom of the zone and then hitting the dirt because it was just breaking so hard. And I was like, well, that from my perception, can't possibly be a strike. Mm-hmm. But on the computer, at the front of the plate, as the strike zone is defined, there's a plane on the front, of, a plane of glass on the front of the plate. If the ball nicks any part of that plate of glass, the plate of glass breaks. It is therefore a strike. So if that ball is heavily breaking, but the top of it would just catch the glass and break it, well, that's a strike. I mean, if it comes down to that we have to adjust the strike zone yeah. to do that, I think that even that's fine. Like, yeah. I mean, it's the whole thing of making goalies pads smaller. And yeah. the, like, if they want to go and they find out this is suppressing offense, well, and those see, are changes that's a that good they can example make. because I think that's a thing where the NHL made a big change in terms of the goalie pad size. And then all of a sudden, like, the scoring went up way too high. Oh, astronomically. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, we didn't. <laughs> I was like, we were trying to make like a. We thought, like, it was like, you know, inches of changes in the goalie pad it's like oh we thought that would maybe be like a goal a game at most and it's like no it's like 
It's a goal and a half a game, except for that's like really, it's like on average, that doesn't sound like it's that high, but perceptibly, that's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Well, especially Um, in a sport when, you know, at times during the mid to late nineties, it was a, it was soccer scores. It was two, one or. And then all of a sudden, yeah, you get like five to four again. Right. Um, I think it was an example that wasn't really that was thought of as oh this is just kind of an easy thing that's not that big a difference it'll be it won't change that many things and it'll change ends up changing a lot uh, I think we've seen the same thing with the drag coefficient on the baseballs now really just a little tiny change in how the seams are can make it so that all of a sudden you're hitting home runs at the levels that they did in the late 90s when everyone was on steroids even if that's intentional or was unintentional, um, you know, you really got to be careful. And with just small changes like that, mm-hmm. so then you can say like, oh, it's a huge change in terms of how we're calling the strike zone. Well, and my thing is I'm, I am absolutely fine with, we need to go through and make sure this is not flawless, but, as close to that as we can get Mm -hmm. that we're not coming out here and people are questioning the outcomes of games or series or championships, you know, Oh, there needs to be an asterisk on this one because it was a robot ump. Yeah. Uh, before the algorithm was changed. Well, yeah. And that's the other thing I was going to say is it's kind of, you know, who is in control of that algorithm? Mm -hmm. Like what happens if you get, early data back and it's and you can you notice that oh the the trackman system is it's kind of calling the bottom of the zone a little too much is giving a little extra like oh it accidentally gave like an extra couple centimeters on the bottom of the zone but we just need to fix that and all of a sudden the number of strikes is being changed um no you know obviously that's also a problem with human being umpires because every human being umpire calls the strike zone differently as we've seen. And that becomes a problem when sometimes you get a guy who's willing to give the outside strikes and, you know, somebody like Anibal Sanchez can take advantage of it and kind of cross somebody. And then the next night Sanchez has to pitch, he gets an umpire that's not giving him anything on the outside and he gets crushed. Well, Uh, and the problem, uh, I think you will find that once a change is made, and it's consistent. Yeah. That you're going to have far fewer issues because you could even go up against the same or up against, you could have the same ump calling. Yeah. The same pitcher at two different points during the year. Yeah. And, and it, you're going it, to get different. vastly different. Yeah. Strikes. And no, I, I think standardizing it makes sense. I think it's just something I, what we have right now is good where you have a lot of fans who are very vocal and kind of pushing like, Let's move these robots while we when we can and kind of pushing MLB. But I also think MLB is taking the right track right now, which is do this slowly. Really make sure that you get your head around everything, all of the knock-on effects, mm-hmm. how accurate the system is, what might need to be tweaked in terms of the strike zone or in terms of algorithm. How are you going to keep that algorithm controlled? You know, what happens if people decide that they don't like what the strike zone is? Like, how do we change how the strike zone is being called? I mean, and that's that got to be annually, right? Right. You think that it have to be like other rules, to, like, annual, but is it something that, you know, and I think this will 
kind of become a big part of the CBA negotiations mm-hmm. uh, coming up in a year or two, two years, two years, I think. Um, it was really, or maybe three years. Uh, I think it's an even year, but that might be wrong. I don't know. I know it's soon. Is that is can MLB just unilaterally change how the strike zone is defined? So say they agree we're going to a robot umpire. Can the MLB owners just vote to say we're going to shrink the zone by three inches in this way? Or is that something that the players also have to approve? I mean, how do rule changes work? In general, the way rule changes work is MLB proposes it to the players and either, and the players can give comment. And the hope is that they both agree to the rule change and then it gets implemented. But otherwise, it can be like, I think it's like a year. And if the players don't agree, then the commissioner can just make the change anyways. Yeah. Which I think did happen with one of the rule changes. I can't remember specifically. Um, but that was the case where it was Manfred was just like, all right, well, we're, we're putting it into place anyways. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe they follow that chain, that process as well. But I think, I think that's a difference between some of the other rule changes they've made so far mm-hmm. and kind of something so fundamental, the game, like the strike zone would yeah. be interesting if it's something where I, I, mean, I don't think the players would be really supportive of it being a system where MLB can kind of just make changes to it when they want to. Right. It would, it would need to be treated more like a rule change of we are changing, you know, this particular thing. The, the thing that gets me though, is you have, uh, the side that comes out a lot is that, you know, human, uh, the human element is part of the game and Mm -hmm. you're taking that out of the game. And, uh, I, under, I understand that to an extent, but also like tennis has had this technology for years and years and years. And there were people that cried about it when they initially went to it. But as of now, I mean, you it shows how the ball elongates when it hits the ground mm-hmm. and whether it touched the line or not. Like, right. I mean, it's accurate to the nth degree. I don't know what the exact percentage is, but it's to the point that, it's not even questioned right. at this point. And of course, a, a tennis stadium is a little bit easier of a sure. it's environment to, and, and the tennis lines are much more easier. You're hitting a physical read. object. Yeah. Um, but that's the system that MLB is actually put in. I want to say they had to have it done by the end of this year. Yeah. Track was they, what, isn't it Hawkeye? Wasn't track. Hawkeye. I was think track, track man was the first one. I think track man was the old yeah. one. I think it's Hawkeye is the tennis one okay. where it's like, it's like 20 cameras. Like it's a ton of cameras oh, yeah. around the stadium. Yeah. I, I understand that argument. I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you definitely will lose something from the game in terms of how you can kind of get those strikes, but I can see why that's also just really annoying um, to a lot of people. And you just want to get rid of that. And that, that makes sense. And but it, I think it is kind of cool when you can get pitchers who are just so good at hitting their location. When it's uh, the standard ones where it's like, oh, the pitcher's just really on and he's the catcher's putting on his mitt and the pitcher's hitting it. 
it doesn't really matter to me if that is an inch or so off the plate mm-hmm. that they've just executed so perfectly. Give them the strike then. That's really cool. I like. I think that you know, and if we lose that, you know, I'll get over it. But I think I think it'll I be more fun just, to see though. Yeah. Of like, here is the the strike zone that we have implemented. Yeah. And the guys that go out there and go, okay, I can hit that front edge. Yeah. And still make it so you can't hit it. Yeah. Oh, and it'll be interesting <laughs> if you kind of get like some of like really be more like a wiffle ball system. Mm-hmm. Like, a, well, not like, I don't know if everybody played this way in their backyard wiffle ball, but sort of professional wiffle ball is basically they set up a plate based on just what we talked about. And then you just throw the pitch. And if the pitch hits the plate that they've set up like vertically behind home plate, then it's a strike. So you can see these in ridiculously bending pitches that you have around no chance of actually <laughs> physically hitting when it's crossing home plate but because it can bend in so fast and hit the plastic plate behind the batter still strike yeah um and my thought process is almost flipped of like your catcher could set up outside yeah and you nick the front part of the plate and then it dives into the other batter's box and it's like what the hell is that (laughs) yeah or some of those change-ups strasburg was thrown in game two where it just Knocks the bottom of the strike zone, and nobody's going to swing at that. And, and I it's understand going into the dirt, but it's like, well, it hit the strike zone. So I mean, I guess that's true. We like say it's I mean, we might lose one way where you're stealing strikes, mm-hmm. where you just have a good catcher, you have a pitcher who's very precise, hits the glove right, it gets framed, you steal a strike where you maybe couldn't shouldn't have, you know, and that's kind of a cool way to show the talent of the pitcher and the catcher, maybe you see it kind of evolve where the pitchers are throwing weirder breaking balls Mm -hmm. to find places where they can kind of nick the zone as it flies away. And it's a place that nobody can actually hit it. Um, Well, and I think it will be interesting because you will also have strikes that don't look like strikes mm -hmm. and balls that don't look like balls Mm -hmm. with the, how the strike zone is set up that it's the shape of the plate. You could yeah. technically go around the strike zone and end up in the mitt. Yeah. But it's not a strike because you didn't actually hit the zone. Yeah. And I, I, the last thing I'd say on it is the only issue is a lot of you, a lot of people as world series have been enjoying getting mad about the umpires. Cause like I said, you don't really go on and get mad at your own guys right now. Seeing what they've done. Uh, if you take away the umpire, you can't really yell at the algorithm. Where Where is this anger going to get directed to? I mean, that's probably fine. I, the fact that I know umpires' names bothers me. True. That I can hear a guy's name, and it's not just because I watch a lot of baseball, yeah. that I hear a guy's name, and I'm like, fuck, he's behind the plate? Yeah, like Lance Barksdale. Yeah, or Angel Hernandez. Like, yeah. you pull out these names, and it's like, son of a bitch. Yeah. Um, and I, I shouldn't know the names. Like, so, I know uh, the only football umpire that or a ref that I knew off the top of my head, he's since retired. I forget his name now. He was the guy with the giant biceps. Ed Hockley? Yes. And that's the only reason I knew him is because yeah. his fucking biceps were the size of my face. Yeah. Um. 
when there was that one black ref, I don't remember his name, who had the ridiculous cadence. Mm. And then he retired, sadly. Like, you recognized them more because you saw their faces when they were making calls. Yeah. Or you didn't know them voice. necessarily because of what they had done. Right. Except Ron Cherry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, like, basketball refs the same way. There are very few basketball refs that you would know off the top of your head of, like, he Teddy calls Valentine. a shitty game. <laughs> Which, to be fair, a lot of people say, a lot of fans don't like Teddy Valentine, but then when, like, you go to, like, the coach and player mm-hmm. reviews... Like, he seems to get, like, the highest grades. <laughs> it's like he annoys fans, but he's, like, always fairly consistent. He never really favors one team over the other. Yeah. He just either, like, calls too many or calls too few. No, it's... And the, that's what annoys people. It's definitely the thing, uh, a similar thing to when any fan of a team is watching a national broadcast, and yeah. the national broadcast is automatically rooting for the other team, yeah, regardless of... What's actually going on? Um, yeah, I, mean, I think a robot umpire is a fine thing to push for. I think people should be pushing for it. I think it would um, be an easier conversation if MLB, like I know MLB is already kind of working towards it because again, they're using the independent leagues. They're at least yeah. doing the research on yeah. it. Um, it would be an easier thing though if it was. There's not a timeline on it, but we that's what we're working towards. Yeah. That's true. Just it, it a vague it, statement yeah. of, yes, that's something we're looking into we're and trying to do. In. Yes. Yeah. Instead of, eh, I don't really see it happening, but right. we're going to take a look at it. And so, but I, I think, I think they've been very reasonable mm-hmm. in terms of this time. Like, like I know people have been annoyed for it for almost a decade now, but I think even four years ago, the system wasn't good enough i don't know if even right now the system's good enough i'd be interested to see um i was listening to a thing i guess cnet went out and did a mm-hmm. piece on that independent league yeah uh, that's using it so i'd be interested to go watch that and so i know they've, they've been did. upgrading it the last couple you know they went from pitch fx to the Trackman Statcast stuff to now i think another set of cameras that are even more precise uh to the point that probably it is now accurate enough um, it's really just kind of those extra effects that you really need to make sure and like the run environment. I think that the interesting thing is they'd really have to figure out like, how do we know if we've broken the game with this rule change? Like how like does offense need to be, does runs per game need to go down by so much? What era of offense are you comparing it to? I mean, if you say like, Oh, if the runs per game suddenly go down by like one and a half, mm-hmm. then something's gone wrong and we need to change the zone right. to help fix it. It's like, well, is it one and a half on like average forever? Is it one and a half over the last three years? Because you do the last three years, but also the ball goes back to the one we've seen in the postseason. You could easily go down. It would just go down one and a half without yeah. the robot on. Um, um, so it's, it's just, there's a lot of extra stuff, I think is why it's take going slowly. And I agree that it should go at this kind of slower pace. I know it annoys people. I wonder if they could entice the players association with an additional roster spot for robot umpires. Well, yeah. To under the guise of like, 
Well, you could employ another catcher who's really good at calling games and not really anything else. The interesting <laughs> thing is I, I don't know where the Players Association would necessarily fall down on this issue. Because mm-hmm. yeah, we know they're annoyed by umpires a lot, but I think they also recognize uh, you're losing a valuable thing in catchers. Um, well, and there's also the the whole devil you know versus devil you don't kind of thing of how is this actually going to affect me Mm -hmm. pitcher a or batter B of, you know, like a lot of those guys who, you know, known for plate discipline, maybe your knowledge of the strike zone doesn't really match up with the computer. You might get screwed. Mm -hmm. I, who really knows exactly what could come out of it. So, you know, obviously, in general, the Players Association would be a little more wary of changes like that just because they don't know 100% how it might affect them. But I think there are definitely players who would prefer to see it already. So it'll be interesting to see where they kind of land. But yeah, it could end up, I think it could end up being a big part of the new CBA negotiations. Uh, they said that would be, and then, I mean, the other thing that's going to always pop up until someone comes out and either says no or yes um, would be the DH for the NL, yeah. which has come up what the last two or three years, like yeah. every off season it's like, well, this off season, they're going to talk love, about um, it. And just to wrap everything up now, uh, not cut for Yahoo sports, Tana Kaiser, her show, the bandwagon. She did like a little interview with the Nats guys at the media availability, asking them if they were commissioner for a day, what one rule they would change. Uh, Sean Doolittle was immediately perplexed because he had like 10 rules he would change and couldn't <laughs> decide on which one. Um, I think a couple of other guys, you know, Trey Turner kind of said like he doesn't really like change, which was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, and there was a couple of other guys gave some good answers, but the best answer was definitely Ryan Zimmerman, who immediately said that he would put the NL in the D8, put the DH in the NL. He kind of chuckled a little bit and he said, I mean, that's a selfish answer because I could play longer. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, Ryan, you're so cute. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that about covers all that we need to chat about this evening. Uh, the Nats need to uh, win two games. They need to win two games. They face Go off against the Astros tomorrow you know evening. How easy that is. You know how many times they won two games in a row this year? Just go do that again one more time. Yeah. This isn't tough. I mean, you guys did it less than a week ago. Yeah. Do that again. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's it. Uh, we will not record until next week, probably. Maybe the From week the after. Parade. You won't be able to hear <laughs> anything. Yeah, we'll just bring the mics down we'll there. We'll just be just... yelling, oh, it's that guy. And it's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Uh, but uh, Saturday, Extra Life, we will... Uh, oh, you're going to be streaming at all? We will be streaming. I'm going to have to go get the cameras out. This current setup is not really conducive to them, but I will find a way to make that work. We're going to have some weird like voyeur shots where it's like coming up from the roof. It's just going to be like it's dangling like- off of things. <laughs> that Let's Get Lost thing may uh, very well cling to a camera at some point. Nice. Uh, but yeah, we will uh, we'll be doing that stuff all day. Um, we'll be playing video games, board games, card games, all kinds of stuff. Uh, Somebody's got to clear their table off. Yes, we will. Uh, we will have a complete cast of characters here. So come check us out. Uh, I will have links and all that kind of stuff. And make a donation. Yes. If you enjoy it. 
Or if you don't enjoy it, make a donation. And if you make a big enough one, maybe we'll stop. <laughs> we'll just go get drinks instead and exactly. uh, save everyone from ourselves. Uh, but yeah, so we will see you all on Saturday and then we will talk to you all mostly next week. Until then, we are ghosts.